Church family, I invite you to open up to the book of Romans. The book of Romans. Paul's epistle to the Romans. We're going to be in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 today. The title of our message is Faith Alone. Started this series a couple of weeks ago, took a pause last week uh, with a guest uh, pastor in, and uh, we're going to pick back up with our, our series today, Tyler our message, Faith Alone, Romans 5, 1 through 11. And I'm going to ask you to follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read, um, and just remember, church family, this is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord for his church today. There are many different doctrines. You know what I mean by the word doctrine? I mean teachings. Many different teachings, many different doctrines provided for us in God's word. You put all of those teachings, all those doctrines together, and what you get is what we call Christianity. And they're all important, and they're all interconnected such that a misunderstanding of one might lead to a misunderstanding and probably will result in a misunderstanding of another and then another. We want to be students of God's word so that we can make sure always that we're aligning our beliefs with what God has revealed to us. We always want to be checking what we believe against God's word. And that's what was not happening in the church several hundred years ago, which set the stage for the Protestant Reformation. The dominant church at that time, the Roman Catholic Church, had veered away from God's word on many points of doctrine, um, especially the doctrine of salvation. Very important doctrine. I think you would agree. And this movement um, that, that came out of that was, was called the Protestant Reformation was, was a result of some people pushing back on that and saying, wait a second, that's not what the Bible says. The Protestant Reformation pointed out the faultiness of the Catholic Church teaching that salvation was something that had to be earned. That's what was being taught. That's what was being fed over and over and over. Salvation has to be earned. You have to do something. The Reformers, looking at God's Word, said, no, no. Or maybe in modern day, lingo was said, nope, nope. That's not, that's not right. That's not what God's Word says. Salvation cannot be earned. It is a gift of grace which comes through faith in Jesus, and God gets all the glory. 
We can summarize the Reformation doctrine of salvation with some phrases which we learned a couple of weeks ago called the five solas of the Reformation. Remember the word sola is a Latin word that means only or alone. So I just want to remind us of those. Sola gratia, grace alone. Sola fide, faith alone. Solus Christus, in Christ alone. Sola scriptura, scripture alone. And soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. And we can see how these different aspects of salvation are all interconnected if we put it in a sentence, okay? And so this is a sentence that um, maybe you've started to memorize. I would encourage you to. It goes something like this. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. If somebody were to ask you, what do you believe the Bible teaches about how we're saved? You could say this sentence, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. That's not a verse out of the Bible, but it is a great and very accurate way of summarizing the teaching of salvation in the Bible. As I said, when we started this series, as we work our way through each of these solas, I pray, I pray that it's not just going to be a mental exercise, though it needs to be a mental exercise, but I don't want it to stop there. I don't just want us to learn five solas and be able to memorize a sentence. What, what, I, what I pray is that this truth of salvation, these truths of salvation would grow our love for the Lord would just help us see how much God loves us. And out of his love for us, I pray that we would love him more and more and more. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at grace alone, that aspect of salvation, as we studied that incredible passage in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Um, we learned that salvation is a free gift of God based on his choice to love and save, not our choice to earn his love, our works to earn his love. I don't, I don't just say one day, well, I'm going to start doing things that, is, that are going to earn God's love, and now he's going to love me and save me. That's not, that's not grace. We're saved by grace, which means it's a gift. It's his choice to give it, all right? And in the way that we receive that gift is by placing our faith in Jesus. And that's the, that's the second fide, or a sola fide, that we're going to look at today, faith alone. The second of those solas, sola fide, faith alone. There's a lot of passages that we could examine that talk about faith. You've read your Bible. You know how much the Bible talks about faith and the importance of that in our lives. Um, I want to focus today on Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Uh, let me give a little bit of context, okay? And so what I want you to do is I give this context. If you want to uh, flip back a little bit um, in chapters 1, 2, 3, uh, 4, and I'm just going to give some summaries. Let me start with a, a big summary. And in the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul explains, I would say, in glorious detail, as much as our human minds, I think, can handle concerning the doctrine of salvation. Uh, just read the last few verses of Romans chapter 11, and you'll realize that at the end, Paul just goes, I don't even, I don't even know what else to say about it except glory to God. Uh, well, I can't even, my mind can't even handle how great this salvation is. By the time we get to chapter 5 in this, in this incredible uh, explanation of the gospel of Jesus, Paul has laid out our great need for God's saving grace and the means by which God saves. If you go to chapter 1, what you're going to find is that humanity is under the wrath of God. And it's because of our sin. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. Okay? We'll look at that passage a little bit more in a few minutes. 
Then we get to chapter 2, we see that the Jews were under that same wrath. The Jews, they wanted to say, well, we have the oracles of God. We, we, we're the, the, the Old Testament people of God, right? We're the people of God. We, we have the law. And, and chapter 2, Paul says, nope, you're lumped in the same category as everybody else. We're all under the wrath of God. Then we get to chapter 3, and we see that every person is unrighteous under the law, but the good news is that a righteous ha- righteousness has been revealed apart from the law. And it is a righteousness that is the grace of God through the death of Jesus, redeeming all who place their faith in Jesus. You see that Romans chapter 3, kind of starting around verse 21, going through verse 26. Then we get into chapter 4, and Paul just dives headfirst into an argument um, where he is trying to make sure people understand why it is that it's faith alone. Because he knows he's going to get pushed back. He knows he's going to get pushed back um, with this claim that salvation comes into our lives through faith. Salvation coming simply through faith in Jesus was a stumbling block to the Jews who prided themselves in keeping the law. Wait a second. You're saying the Gentiles, all they got to do is just believe in Jesus and be saved. And we've been trying to keep the law all these years. And all they got to do is believe in Jesus and be saved. And Paul's argument in chapter four is, is, guess what, Jews? Not only am I saying that's all the Gentiles have to do. That's what I'm saying you have to do as well. It's by faith for everyone. So much so, he points back to the father of the Jews, right? Abraham, as the great example that righteousness comes into our lives, not by our works, but through faith. Look at chapter one, uh, 4, verses 1 through 3. Paul says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, according to what he could do? For if Abraham was justified, that means declared righteous by God to be saved. If he was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Or here's Paul, scripture, uh, sola scriptura, going back to the scripture. What does scripture say? Quote, Abraham believed God. He's quoting the Old Testament. And it was counted to him as righteousness. What did Abraham do? He believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And so chapters 4, verses 1 through 3, he, he takes everybody back to Abraham and says, look. You look back to Abraham as somebody who was saved by his works, specifically his work of circumcision, says no, he was actually saved by his faith. And even the scripture specifically says that. And then Paul connects it to us. Hey, it's not just for Abraham, it's to all of us. Skip to the end of chapter 4, okay? Skip to the end of chapter 4, verse 22 through 25. Paul Paul says that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So Paul has laid out his case for justification by faith. That is salvation. It's by grace through faith, not through works. That sets up what he says beginning in chapter 5, verse 1. He gets to chapter 5. Now, Paul didn't write in chapters, but we have it in chapters. So we get to chapter 5. Paul gets to this point in his letter. And I, I really think it's as though Paul says, now let's just stop for a moment. Let's just stop for a moment and enjoy what it means that we are saved through faith and not through works. Let's pause and consider the 
confidence that we could never have if we were trying to depend upon our works to save. Let's pause and consider the confidence that we can have when we completely depend upon Jesus to save us. Perhaps one way of summarizing Paul's teaching in Romans 5, 1 through 11 is this. Confidence of salvation comes only through completely depending upon Jesus for salvation. Confidence of salvation comes only through completely depending upon Jesus for salvation. When I, when I say that phrase, confidence of salvation, you're not going to see the word confident in this passage. What you are going to see is peace and reconciliation. But listen, what, what it means that we have peace in our lives, peace with God, means that we can have confidence in our salvation. If we couldn't be confident in our salvation, there would be no peace. Okay? If I'm gaining salvation and losing salvation and gaining salvation and losing salvation, that, that's the opposite of peace. So confidence of salvation comes only through completely depending on Jesus for salvation. And when I use that phrase, completely depending, that's my little, my little um, definition of faith. Okay? So, so that... When, when I think about the word faith, what does it mean to have faith in Jesus? Does it just mean, like, I believe that he was a real man in history? Well, a lot of people believe that, okay? But they haven't, they haven't been saved. What does, it mean to, what does it mean to believe in Jesus, to have faith in Jesus? It means that I am completely depending upon him for my salvation. Faith means taking God at his word and trusting him to do what he says he is going to do. So much so that we stake our entire future for all of eternity upon it. Look, look back one more time at chapter 4. Okay, Look at verse 21. I think this is a great definition of faith. Look at verse 21. Chapter 4, verse 21. It says that Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is faith. Then I take God at his word. What has God promised to us, church? What has he promised? He's promised to justify, to save, to reconcile to himself every person who believes in Jesus, all who trust in the finished work of Christ, his perfect life, his atoning death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave. We cast ourselves, we bank our eternity upon that. We will be saved. God, that is God's promise to us. So faith means taking God at his word. And when we do completely depend upon Jesus for salvation, we can have confidence. That's one of my goals for today. One of my goals for today is not just to argue, I don't mean that in a bad way, but to, to make a case that, that grace comes into our lives through faith. We've kind of already talked about that really the past couple of weeks. Um, I really want you to, to walk out of here Christian with confidence in your salvation, enjoying the benefits of what it means to come to God in faith. If you haven't trusted in Christ, I pray that you would walk out of here having trusted in Christ for salvation. We can have confidence in our salvation, confident peace, confident access, and confident rejoicing. Those are three points that I want to make from this passage today. Confident peace, confident access, and confident rejoicing. Let's start with the first one. Only through faith can we have confident peace with God. Only through faith can we have confident peace with God. I, I want to go ahead and just pause for a second and say, I'm going to use the word confident a lot. But please understand, this confidence is not in ourselves. This is not a con an, an arrogant confidence. Because our confidence is, is actually it's the opposite. This confidence comes from saying, I can't do it. 
I can't, I never will. Jesus is the one who's done it. So when I use the word confidence, I'm, I'm not talking about arrogance. Okay? I'm talking really about this humble dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Only through faith can we have confident peace with God. Paul says in chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, that is in light of all that he's already said, all of chapter 1 through 4, especially in chapter 4, this, making this case for salvation through faith alone, in light of all he's just said, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, there's his summary statement of what he said. Now, what's the result? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Just notice the confidence with which Paul writes. Not, we might have peace. I hope you have peace. Some of you will, but some of you won't. So all of you come, through, come to Jesus in faith, but only some of you get to have peace. No, 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 no. We come to him in faith. We have peace with God. Peace with God. Church, that is the great longing of our souls. It's the great longing of our souls. God has revealed enough of himself in creation for us to know that he exists, to know that he is worthy of all of our worship, which means we know that he can rightly hold us accountable for our failure to worship him. If you want to flip back to chapter 1, I said that we would go back there for a moment. This is what Paul says in chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. When he says them, he's talking about us, okay? Every person. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. He's talking about in his creation. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Here you go. So they are without excuse. We know that. We know that. That is the great problem of humanity. We have rejected the creator and we will be held accountable and we're without excuse. And that great problem sets up the great longing of our hearts. And that longing is to be at peace with our creator, peace with God. Now, perhaps you might you, you say, you know, I don't, Zach, I don't know if I've ever actually longed for peace with God. I don't know if I've ever stopped and said, Oh, man, I just I just wish I had peace with God. I know some of you, some of you would say, yes, I, I've been there. But, but maybe you say, I don't know if I've ever like said in those words. Let me ask you this. Have you ever done something you knew was wrong and you felt guilty and you thought, I really wish there was a way for this feeling of guilt to be removed? If so, then you long for peace with God. Well, let me ask you another question. Have you ever tried to do something good to make up for the bad that thing that you did? You ever done that? Oh, my goodness. I, I'll try to do that. Even if it's just simple, like, I just need to go apologize to this person, but instead I'm just going to try to do something nice for them to try to make up for the bad thing that I did instead of just going and asking them to forgive me. Right? We do that, and we do that with other people. We do that with God. If you've ever tried to do something good to make up for the bad thing you did, you did that because you knew that in some way the bad thing needed to be canceled out in order for you to be right with God. In other words, you knew that your relationship with God was not perfect. It was broken. You know what that means? In that moment, you were longing for peace with God. That's why you went and tried to do the good thing to make up for the bad thing, because you thought, you thought that that could fix the relationship that had been broken because of the bad thing that you did. You, were long, you might not have put it in those words, but that was a longing of your heart. To have the guilt removed. To have the bad thing that you did canceled out. Church, God has put eternity in the hearts of man. He made us in his image. We were created to live in a close relationship with our creator. And we know, whether we want to admit it or not, that our relationship with him has been broken because of sin. We know that. 
And so we long for peace with God. The Jews thought that obedience to the law would give them peace. The Gentiles of Rome thought that their invented Roman religious practices would give them that peace. We often maybe think it's a combination of those two that will give us peace with God. We kind of take some of the commands from the Old Testament, not as much as the Jews took, but we take some of the commands from the Old Testament, some of the commands from the New Testament, and then we put them together and we invent our own self-made religion of works. Well, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to pray and I'm going to give money to the missions and to, to the poor and I'm going to do these things. I'm trying to be nice to some people, maybe not everybody, but I'm going to try to be nice to some people. And in the end, I'll have done enough good things to make up for all the bad things that I've done. It's just a self-made religion. That's all it is. It's a religion of works. And all it does is leave us longing all the more for peace with God. Friends, only Jesus can fix our relationship with God. That's why he came and died for us. If you'll go ahead and scan your eyes down to verse 8 of our passage today. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because we couldn't fix it on our own. That's why he came. That's why we came. And so it's only when we give up on fixing this broken relationship by our own effort and we cast ourselves in complete dependence upon Jesus that we actually find this peace that our hearts are longing for. If you try to have peace with God any other way through faith in Jesus, you'll never know, you'll never experience true peace. It's one of the ugly side effects of a workspace salvation. It cannot deliver on its promises. I just want you to know that this, this idea that, that we could earn salvation, that is, that, is a, that is a scheme of the enemy himself. The enemy wants to deceive us into thinking if we just do one more good thing, just one less bad thing, then we'll have that confidence that we're at peace with God, but it never comes. That confidence is as fleeting as the morning mist because that peace with God, if it's dependent upon your ability to please God, then all it takes is one lustful thought, one angry thought, one arrogant thought. We're not even talking about words or actions yet. We're just talking about thoughts. All it takes is one thought that is wrong in the eyes of God. And that that peace that we thought we had is shattered. It's gone. Because now we're back in the same boat that we were. At odds with the God who made us. What that is, because then, then what you have to do is you've got to try to do something else. And then, and then you sin, and then you've got to try to do something else. And then you sin, you got to try. That, that is a chaotic cycle that will drive you spiritually insane. So what will happen? It, it, it'll take you so far from the peace that you think it will provide for you. It'll be a spiritual insanity. A friend was talking to me one day about one of his friends. One of those stories where a friend of a friend of a friend, right? Uh, but it, it was, it was a, a friend of mine who was talking about one of his friends. And he said, he said that his friend was struggling incredibly was a race with his relationship from the Lord. From the outside, he probably looked, he probably looked like a Christian. I mean, his life was full of good things. He was trying to fill his life with good works. But on the inside, my friend told me that his friend was just going crazy on the inside. He had no peace. He had no calm assurance that he was right with God. I think one of the problems was that he belonged to a sect of Christianity, which I believe places a wrong importance upon works. It's a very legalistic branch of Christianity which held people to a high standard of morality, which is okay, but it teetered on the edge of neglecting the doctrine of grace. That we're saved by grace and not by our works. And obviously this man had gone over the edge. He had no peace with God because he was depending upon his works rather than the finished work of Jesus to save him. Me and my friend were talking about that. Man, my heart just broke for him. He said he's just trying to do the next right thing. 
And then every time he messes up, he thinks that God no longer loves him anymore. I was like, what a horrible way to live. Spiritual insanity. Chaos. But I wonder if that's you today. I wonder if that's you today. I want you to know that there is a way for the guilt to be removed. Church, there is a way for the sin to be canceled. And that way has already been made. The work has already been done. When Jesus died on the cross, he took our guilt upon himself. And the scripture says that, it says that he canceled the record of debt that stood against us. Read that in Colossians. He canceled the record of debt. There is a, we need to have our guilt removed. We need to have our debt canceled. That's a good thing for us to feel. But only Jesus can do that when we come to see that Jesus has paid it all. Then we will realize that our only option for gaining that peace that our hearts long for is just to cast ourselves in complete dependence upon him. Say, Jesus, I can't do it, but I believe that you have done everything that's necessary. Next week, Lord willing, we'll talk more about what Jesus has done as we get into in Christ alone. But we'll save that for next week. Number two, only through faith can we gain confident access to God's saving grace. Only through faith. So, so we start with only through faith can we have the confident peace. Now only through faith can we gain confident access into God's saving grace. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here because we looked at this point some when we studied grace alone in Ephesians 2. And even some of what I'm going to say again is going to come next week when we look at in Christ alone. By the way, it's really hard to separate all of these doctrines, these five solas, because they all go together. Um, you can see that in your, in your passage here. We see all of them um, going on here. But look at verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. If salvation does not come to us by works, then it must come to us as a gift. How do we gain access to that gift? How do we receive it? It is through faith. Now, Paul stated this doctrine of grace very clearly in uh, chapter 3, verse 24. You look back a few verses in chapter 3, verse 24. He says that we're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You can't get any clearer statement than that. We are justified. That means declared righteous. That means saved. By his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There we have the grace alone and the Christ alone. And if you just read ahead just a little bit, he throws in the faith alone. All right. Because right before he jumps into chapter four, all about faith. We're justified by his grace. Salvation, with, salvation, that's peace with God, comes only as a gift. We are sinners. We deserve only God's wrath. But God is love, and God has shown his love by providing his son as a sacrifice for sin. And the question is, how does that grace get applied to our lives? It's not automatic. God doesn't apply that grace to every person's life. Not every person goes to heaven. Not every person is saved. How does it get applied to our lives? It is through faith. Instead of depending on our works, we depend upon the work of Jesus. You remember Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9 from a couple of weeks ago? For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are saved by grace through faith. Through faith. That's how we gain access to God's saving grace. But I want to, uh, before we move on, I want to make an important distinction. Faith in and of itself does not save us. Everyone has faith in something. 
It's not just that we have to be a, a person of faith. You hear that all the time. You've heard me talk about that before. I can't stand that. People of faith. Well, what in the world does that mean? That means everybody in the world. Well, we have a gathering of people of faith. Well, you could just randomly pick a million people out off the planet and you have a gathering of people of faith. All right, you can have a bunch of Hindus in the room and you have people of faith. Honestly, you can have a bunch of atheists in the room. You have people of faith. I mean, they believe that there is no God. Their faith is in their own wisdom that there is no God. But people of faith, what, what in the world? Faith in and of itself does not save. I mean, every time I get in my car, I'm a person of faith. I, got, I have faith that the wheels aren't going to fall off while I'm going down the road. Right? If I didn't have faith in that, I wouldn't get in the car and drive it. Now, I can't see the wheels as, as I'm going down the road. Right? Uh, I have driven a truck one time for a, for a farmer, and you could see the wheels uh, as you were going down the road because they're rusted out in the floorboard of the truck. Right? You could see the wheels while you're going down the road. Uh, thankfully, thankfully, my vehicle isn't in, in quite that rough shape. I can't see them, but I have faith that they're there and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. That's faith. It's not faith that gets me to heaven. What kind of faith gets us to heaven? What kind of faith saves? Well, it's faith in Jesus who provides us with the access to God's grace. That's what saves. We need access to God's gift of salvation and faith in Jesus. Through him, we have obtained access into this grace in which we stand. And it's by faith. Notice how many times you see through Jesus in this passage. Verse 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, through him we have also obtained access. Verse 11, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have now received reconciliation. See, I mean, we could use this passage next week to talk about in Christ alone. This faith means nothing if it's not in Jesus. Or to state it negatively, to try to earn salvation is to reject Jesus, since Jesus is the gift of grace. If I try to earn it, I'm rejecting the gift. I don't have Jesus. To say it positively, faith is an admission that you can't do anything to save yourself, but that Jesus has done everything that's necessary for salvation. And so you're going to depend upon Jesus alone to provide you access into that grace, which is Jesus, which saves. So only through faith can we gain confident access to God's saving grace. Let's go to number three. Let's go to number three. Only through faith. Can we enjoy confident rejoicing in God's eternal plan? Only through faith can we enjoy confident rejoicing in God's eternal plan. Confident peace, confident access, confident rejoicing. And this last point just requires us to look at basically the rest of this passage. I know you're thinking, goodness, we're only barely, th- not even through verse 2 yet. Well, we're going to kind of race through um, the, the last several verses uh, of this passage. Um, not because they're not worthy of our intense study, but it's not our, not our purpose here today. I, I want to I look at how Paul brings this, this, this reality of rejoicing into this passage on the heels of this whole commentary on faith, that we're saved by faith. Remember all of chapter 4, I and mean, the whole chapter is about we're saved through faith, and now he says it leads to rejoicing. It leads to rejoicing. This gladness, this rejoicing flows into our lives through faith in Jesus. Verse 2, it says that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In verse 3, it says we rejoice in our sufferings. And in verse 11, it says that we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the many benefits of having faith in Jesus is that it leads to rejoicing in our lives. And it is a confident rejoicing. 
Listen, there's no joy when your relationship with God is broken, when there's no peace between you and God. There's no joy in that. There's no joy when you're standing outside of God's grace, when you've not gained access into that grace by which we are saved. There's no joy there. And there's no joy when you have no hope that the suffering of this life is temporary. No assurance that God will keep you to the end. There's no joy in that. But this passage says that we can rejoice while at the same time placing us right in the midst of what we see around us and in our lives, suffering. We can have confidence in the glory of God being manifested through his ability and his willingness to work through the suffering of this life to complete our salvation one day. That's what Paul's saying here. As I've just kind of wrestled with this passage, um, I, I think that Paul might be trying to, to face an objection, a possible objection. He's confronting an objection. Now, I think the objection would go something like this. Paul It seemed initially like this salvation through faith thing was great. And I understand the theological underpinnings that peace with God comes through faith with not works. I hear what you said in chapter 4 about Abraham. I get that. But if I have peace with God, if I have access into God's saving grace, then how come there's all this suffering in my life right now? I'm not sure God loves me today and has included me in his family today. And it's given me salvation today because it looks like from my present circumstances that God has turned his back on me. Apparently, I must have done something to fall out of his grace. That he no longer loves me anymore. That's a a very real thing that we could wrestle with. And and I, I don't know for sure, but I just think that perhaps Paul... Feels that pushback coming. He's pretty good, especially being inspired by the Holy Spirit, to, to feel some pushback, some arguments that people might throw at him based on what he's saying. And I think that's what he thinks might be coming. I mean, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever looked at your suffering and thought, I guess God doesn't love me anymore? I guess I've done something that God calls uh, that calls God to take away my, my peace that I used to have with him. I guess God has shut me out of that grace that, that I once had experienced. Have you ever felt that way? I think if we're honest, many of us have. Listen to Paul. Listen to God's word. He says that this new reconciled relationship with God based on God's grace allows us to rejoice, to keep rejoicing in the midst of our present sufferings. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In other words, the grace that comes through faith is providing us A salvation that has a future aspect to it. It's what Peter wrote in his first letter where he said that we have a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You say, oh, I thought salvation has already come. Well, it has and it hasn't. If you trust in Christ, the moment you trust in Christ, you are saved. And yet there's this aspect of our salvation that's still to come. Are you in heaven yet? No. Am I in heaven yet? No. Has Christ returned and made all things new? No. There's this future aspect to our salvation through faith. We get to confidently set our minds on the future completion of our salvation, trusting that the present sufferings, don't you think about whatever suffering you might be going through even today, that the present sufferings are actually being used by God to ensure that our hope stays fixed on Jesus. Look at verses 3 through 5. That's the progression. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. 
Not when they're over, but in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And it is a hope that does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Brothers and sisters, in God's sovereign plan, the sufferings of this present life are actually being used by God in the lives of those who have faith in Jesus. Note this, not to decrease our confidence in him and in our salvation, but actually to increase our confidence, our confidence in him and in our salvation. Now, this is not because of our great faith. It's not because of our ability to stand strong in the face of suffering, to somehow pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and, and just just run at at the suffering uh, with this strength that we have within ourselves based on us. Note what it says. It's because God has poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In other words, when you place your faith in Jesus, God puts his own spirit inside of you. So that when you face suffering, listen to this, so that when you face suffering, you face it with the keeping power of, of God. It's not you that ultimately holds on to the Lord. It's God who holds on to you. Again, we could go to Peter where he talks about this power of, this, uh, of God that's guarding us. It's guarding us, even from the temptation to doubt the salvation that God has blessed us with. You will endure because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And that endurance will help you grow in godliness, thus producing this character because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And that character will produce this hope and more hope and more hope because why? The Holy Spirit lives in you. This is what faith is. Faith's not about what you do. It's about what God is doing in you, what he's doing in me. And this hope we have is a sure hope. It says that it does not put us to shame. We will not, if we have come to God through faith in Jesus, we will not stand before a holy God one day and be put to shame. Why? Because it's a hope rooted in God's love for us and not our ability to please God. Listen, we would be put to shame if our eternal security was left in our hands. We would, because we we would lose it. If it was all up to us and our goodness, we would quickly, very quickly lose it. If we could ever gain it in the first place. But it's not. It's not left in our hands. It's left in the hands of the God who has an eternal plan. And so here's what Paul says. He says, church, rejoice. Rejoice. And just in case we're still unsure that we can have confidence in our eternal salvation, just in case we're not convinced that we can truly be at peace and rejoice in our salvation, even though we live in suffering, even though the fullness of that salvation has not been completely realized, he just like tacks on verses 6 through 10. Okay, and and, and it's pretty incredible if we let it say what it says. Let let me do this before we read verses six through ten. Let me put it, give it to you in my own words. What I what I think Paul is saying and then and then we'll read it. You can see if if you think this is right. But let me put it in your in in my own words. This is what I think Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, listen to me. If God loved you so much. That he would send his son to die for you while you were his enemies. Don't you think that God will love you so much to rescue you from his coming wrath now that you belong to him? Don't doubt the future of your salvation. 
Don't think for a second that the God who sacrificed his son to save you is now going to turn his back on you. Your present suffering is in no way evidence that God no longer loves you. God's love for you and your salvation as a result of his love is so secure that not only do you not have to question your salvation when you suffer, you can rejoice in your salvation in the midst of your suffering. Look at his argument. I think it's music to our ears if we'll just stop long enough to hear what Paul is saying. Look at what he says. For while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God, now we're talking about real love. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The while we are still sinners is really important here. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Don't fear the coming wrath of God thinking that somehow you've lost your salvation. That's what he's saying. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. You see the case that Paul is laying out. You see the evidence that he's giving for the security of your salvation. You see the reason for rejoicing even in the midst of suffering. If I could, if I could summarize what Paul is saying in verses 6 through 10 and maybe one sentence, it's the best way. I, it's, almost, it's almost too great for words. And let me, let me try to say it this way. Christian, if God's love reconciled us to himself while we were his enemies... There is no way that his love is going to abandon us while we are his family. If God's love reconciled us to himself while we are his enemies, there is no way that his love is going to abandon us now that we have been adopted into his family. This is the good news. It's the story of Jesus. It's It's the rest to the longing of the human heart. This is real lasting peace. This is why we ought to be the most joyful people in all of the world. This is why we ought to be the people with the most endurance in the face of suffering. This is why we can say with confident rejoicing, my salvation is secure. It's why we can say with the psalmist, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? It's why we can join with Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail and sing songs of praise in the midst of suffering. It's why we can join with Peter who said rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. It's why we can say with Paul later in this letter in chapter 8, for I consider the present sufferings of this time are not to be compared with the glory that is going to be revealed. God has loved us and he will keep loving us. God has reconciled us to himself and he will keep that reconciliated relationship intact. But remember, it's only through faith that any of these things will be true of us. Paul has laid out here the blessings of coming to Jesus in faith, the coming to God through faith in Jesus. But it's only true of us if we place our faith in Jesus. This justification resulting in this peace with God and access to grace and rejoicing both now and forever. This justification is only for those who believe, but it is for all who will believe. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. So let me ask you a question. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? 
very possible. It's very possible to pretend to be a Christian and to even look like a Christian. But inside you know that you've been counting on your own efforts to save you. I don't say that to make you, if you're a Christian, doubt your salvation. I don't think I have the power to do that. You have the keeping power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. But I do think it's good to make sure that I'm trusting in Jesus. Not trusting in my own works. So have you placed your faith in Jesus for salvation? And if you have, are you living with confidence in your salvation? Don't live defeated. Live with confidence. Not in yourself, not arrogant, but confidence in what Christ has done. It's the salvation that is the work of God's love through Jesus who died for our sin. Confidence of salvation comes only through completely depending upon Jesus for salvation. So let me ask one more time. Are you completely depending upon Jesus for your salvation? I hope that you are. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. One of the greatest things we can do with the time that you have given us is spend time learning what you have revealed to us from your word about yourself, about us, and about how we can be reconciled back to you, how we can have a fixed relationship. And God, so many people, and even probably most of us, even as Christians, before we trusted in Christ, tried to fix the problem on our own. But we can't. So God, would you humble us? Would you help us to admit that we can't, we can't do it? And help us to receive this gift that Christ has done it. And then help us to live with that confident assurance that we have everlasting peace. Not just peace today, but peace tomorrow and the next day and the next day all the way till we see your face. That we have this access into grace. And you're not, you're not closing the door on, on that access. We don't have it one day, it's open, and the next day we wake up and, and you're mad at us and you close, close the door to access that grace. No. And God, when we, when we walk through sufferings of this life, Lord, would you keep us away from that temptation, from falling prey to the tempter's snare, to think that suffering in our life is somehow a result of you not loving us anymore. God, if you reconciled us to yourself while we were your enemies, there's no way that your love is going to abandon us while, you, while we are your family. So God, I pray that we would be a people that live with this humble confidence, rejoicing in our salvation and sharing that good news with others, even in the midst of the suffering of this present life. God, if there's someone here today who's never trusted in Jesus for salvation, I pray that even as we sing in just a moment, that they would cry out to you in their hearts. That they would come to you. God, I can't save them. Nobody else in here can save them. It's something that has to happen between you and them. I pray that they would cry out in faith and say, God, I am a sinner and I need Jesus to save me. And I believe that he has done enough. That he has done everything that's necessary to rescue me from my sin. And so I'm going to completely depend upon Jesus. I'm going to stake my eternity upon him. God, save me. Lord, I pray that that would be the prayer of any lost person in this place today.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.